you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 978. Um, Stick around after, well, you don't have to, but maybe if you want to, um, after the podcast, I'm going to, I think I'm going to start doing little wrap ups on some of these episodes, just a couple minutes at the end, some final thoughts, some parting words, some ultimate chatter. I need to come up with a better name. We're ending word salad, ending word salad. I'm going to go with ending word salad. See, that's, it just happens that easily and sloppily. Um, but let's go to the corkboard real fast. Ray writes, my youngest nephew was diagnosed with dupe 15Q syndrome last year. It's a super rare chromosomal disorder with only about a thousand diagnosed cases worldwide. So finding knowledge and support is pretty tough. My brother and sister-in-law have had a tremendous amount of love, support, and education through the dupe 15Q alliance. I'm an independent hairstylist, and while I've always wanted to contribute to a cause, nothing has touched me like this. Any business day falling on the 15th of the month, I have Super Duper Day. I currently donate 100% of my services to the Dupe15Q Alliance. Long shot, but if any of you listeners live near Dixon, Tennessee, and would like to participate on Super Duper Day, all you have to do is make an appointment to get your hair done with me at House of Style. Of course... Drop by direct donations are also always welcome. For anyone who just has a big old heart and would like to donate or wants to know more about Dupe15Q, you can visit Dupe15QAlliance.org. That's D-U-P-1-5-Q-Alliance.org. Donations go a long way to families who truly need it. Also, Tom writes, My friend Dom and I recently started a podcast called The Omcast, where we take the retrospective of franchise films leading up to the latest releases of sequels, prequels, remakes, uh, reboots, give our opinions, behind-the-great-scenes trivia and analysis, even if they're not that great. And we just finished our inaugural run of the Rocky franchise and are having a great time whilst doing so. We're on iTunes, Spotify, pretty much all podcatchers, and would absolutely be honored for a shout-out or even any advice you could offer. Find it anywhere podcasts are. So here's my advice. Uh, Do it as long as it's fun. You know what? Because as long as it's fun and exciting to you, it'll be fun and exciting to other people. Um, So, yeah, that's it. I mean, it's interesting to listen to people talk about things that they're passionate about. Because even if we don't understand the exact thing or don't necessarily relate to the exact thing, we do relate to being passionate about something. And so it inspires people in their own lives um, to... uh, to, to pursue things that they're excited about and, you know, just keep releasing episodes. Um, 
have guests on, uh, swap podcast guests, have have someone who has another podcast be a guest on your podcast. So you're you're kind of like sharing audiences. Uh, those are my, you know, make make some t-shirts. They're inexpensive ways you can just make t-shirts. I mean, you know, not necessarily to make a lot of money, but just to get people to wear your podcast shirt as basically a cool, soft, cottony billboard as they walk around. So th- those are my bits of advice, I guess. I don't know. I hope those are helpful. You probably already knew all that stuff. This episode, I'm so excited about uh, this is an author that I adore by the name of Ryan Holiday. And almost a year ago, um, I discovered the first book of his called Ego is the Enemy. And it just opened a gateway to all of his other books and stoicism. And I found out we had friends in common. And so we, you know, it it's just been an enlightening um, world of, I mean, I guess I'm not going to call it self-help, but just informative personal development, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's all really interesting. And, um, and certainly as we, uh, push forward through this new year, I think it'd be a, I think it's a great, great thing to listen to because maybe it'll spark some ideas in your own mind or inspire you in some way. But, uh, Ryan is an incredibly, incredibly prolific writer and um, has a website called dailystoic.com. And you can sign up for their email list. You'll just get daily nuggets of sort of, you know, stoic ideas. And, you know, I won't go into it now, but listen to the podcast because whatever concept you had of stoicism before may not be entirely what it actually is, which is so much more interesting than just not being emotional ever, which is not really how a lot of us um, perceive it. So that's it. Um, and also there is a, a book called Daily Stoic, which is basically a meditation for every day, which I think at the posting of this episode on December 28th is $1.99 on Amazon, the ebook for the next like week or two. So, um, so there you go. I want to make a couple corrections to this podcast. Uh, I falsely referred to Jaron Lanier's book. It's actually called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Um, I refer to it a couple of times in the podcast as 10 Reasons for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. And I, sh- <laughs> I there's no way for me to go back in and edit in the proper uh, title. So I'm saying it now. I apologize. Um, and also... Uh, we Ryan and I refer to meditations by Marcus Aurelius uh, several times in the podcast, um, but we don't. I don't actually specify which translation we're referring to. There are a few different translations. A lot of them are a little more complex because they're a, a little more <laughs> clinically translated from the original Greek text. Uh, and so the one that I recommend is called uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, a, a new translation which was translated by Gregory Hayes. And that's just available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, wherever, wherever, wherever you get your books or ebooks or Kindle books or audio books. Um, so there you go. That's a lot of talking right now. So I'm going to shut up so you can hear some more talking on the ID10T podcast number 978 with the incredible and stoic and productive Mr. Ryan Holiday.
pleasure to meet you and also to see your voice coming out of your body because I'm so used to listening to it in audio form. That is a very weird thing for me because I'll, I'll meet someone and they'll have spent like eight hours just like with my voice directly in there. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know, like with TV or movies or something, there's like, yes, you're watching a person, but there's like a distance. Yes. You know? Yes. This is just like, wait, you just listen to me read you a book? Like, that's, that's like <laughs> I, don't, I don't read books for anyone, you know? Like, I mean, maybe. Ryan, will like, you read me a story before I go to bed? <laughs> right. All right. This is how to accept failure. This is the story about how to accept failure. Yeah. And, and they, the other weird thing is that as much as they like it, recording it is a miserable experience. Sure. Because, I mean, not miserable, but it's just, a, it's not an enjoyable experience. It's more it's, taxing than you realize. Yeah. You feel like a, this sort of babbling idiot afterwards because you realize you don't know how words are pronounced. Words don't mean anything <laughs> anymore. Yeah. You get halfway through and you're like, did I write this? Like, you can't, and your voice gets hoarse after like a couple hours. Yeah. You just feel like you're sick. Like, you realize that you would think that being a voiceover actor would be like the easiest job in the entire world. And then it's actually like a job no one would want to do if they knew what it was. It is pretty intense, but, but, but reading books particularly because yes. at least if you're doing voiceovers it's like i have a line you have a line yeah this is just like i'm gonna read 300 pages of text yes and somehow not go crazy <laughs> yeah like to process. do to do like a 50 or sixty thousand word book is probably four or five sessions in a studio yes over like four, five hours a time so it's yeah it's just crazy and then you have to learn how to match your energy, you could, because if you one day you're not feeling good, you know, yeah. then all of a sudden that's why sometimes you listen to audiobook and someone's like, and then they realize that it would never be the same. And the next chapter, chapter two, you know, like their energy is <laughs> yeah. totally changed. It's like, well, that was probably a different day. Yeah, <laughs> that's why that's that way. I almost always get sick in the middle, um, just because like as a writer, I don't talk very much. Right. So this will be like. That will be the even if I'll do like two podcasts in one day. That'll be the most I've talked yes. in like weeks. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, it's just it. My immune system can't handle it. I was so happy to have you on because it, it your the the first book I discovered of yours was Ego Is the Enemy, and it is it. I probably discovered it like on. Um, I don't know, like our self improvement, or so it was like one of the get motivated or self improvement, you know. And someone just had a reading, you know, like yeah. occasionally you'll get the, hey, if I'm interested in like what book should I read to the, and someone said, you know, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. And I go, wow, that is exactly the kind of thing. This was probably in January or February of 2018. And, uh, and I listened to it and just devoured it. Like everything was, you know, sort of the, the downside to listening to In the Car which is, you know, what I like to do in the car. Yeah. But then you're like, oh, fuck, I can't remember to write that down. Oh, shit, what was that thing? Right. But um, but it was just, it was such a beautifully succinct and such an important idea because of how much we are ruled by our egos. Yeah, well, it's weird, too, because I wrote the book in, I mean, the book came out in 2016, and I wrote, I wrote it in 2014 and 15. So the the whole idea of a Donald Trump presidency was not something I remotely considered. Right. You know, like I was thinking about sort of this idea of ego run amok. And then you're just like, whoa, you know, like, <laughs> like if you wanted something to prove what I was talking about in the book, it would har- it would be hard to do better than like where we're going as a culture. Yeah. And it's not and, and it even it's it's even at the more local personal level, too, that there are so, so many things 
it just your book articulated things that I I couldn't quite articulate, but had been feeling of just that we're all kind of imprisoned by this because social media, the internet, the convenience, the capitalism, like everything about it, the 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 attention farming, the you yeah. know the that economy of likes. That we are really all on a personal level, it's easy to go like, well, in the White House, this, but then we sort of forget like, oh, we're kind of, you know, we're not doing the same thing, but we're doing a similar ego dance. No, totally. I mean, that was a weird thing when I was writing. I remember one of the early notes I got from my editor was she was like, you have to define what ego is. And and that's sort of what I mean about, so in 2014, that was like, okay, not like, we have to really get a clear definition of ego. And now it's just like, if you say ego, people are like, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because right. it's sort of become so malignant culturally right, right now. But it is weird too. Like, it, I think I have this joke in the book, but it's like, it used to be only cult leaders that had followers. And now every, everyone <laughs> Everyone's has, a mini cult. Yeah. Every, you, you, all the things that we used to sort of say like celebrities have to deal with, all like the downsides of fame, now everyone has with none of the rewards either. You right. know what I mean? Like at least you would go like, okay, this person's like constantly on and they can't totally be themselves and everyone has attention on them and they're, uh, they're having to sort of express every thought and feeling they have all that sort of downsides of celebrity, but at least they're rich. At least, you know, they have all this <laughs> stuff. Now it's like you see the same arrogance that, and ego, you know, sort of, like uh, descent into delusion that you might see in a Trump or a Kanye West or these sort of, you know, reality television stars, you see your friends do. Like, on sure. a, you know what I mean? You're just like, this person is consumed with the idea that there is this audience following them with everything they're doing and they're performing for this audience and they're just some random person you went to college with and you're like, yeah. nobody cares. <laughs> everyone, you know? everyone now, now, now when, when, when everyone is a brand, no one's a brand. I yeah. don't know. It's sort of a weird, dirty projectors have this song called that's a lifestyle. And the chorus is that's a product. That's a brand. That's a lifestyle. And it's like, yeah, that's everyone now. Like mm. everyone is some type of brand with their own little personal fiefdom. Well, and, and everyone's going through this thing of like, okay, I said what I think. But now I'm getting feedback from the crowd about whether that's true or not, right. good or not, whether that's increasing my reach or not. And so we're all sort of doing that weird, like, finger to the wind where we modulate what we, who and what we are based on what we think will get us the most gratification, which is yeah. very strange. Yeah, I was reading, I was, I've been reading another book called um, 10 Reasons for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts right yep. now. And it's really interesting. It's, again, it's a lot of stuff that you kind of, and I don't want to come down too hard on social media because I get that there are things that are certainly positive and it's it's elevated voices that deserve to be elevated and it's helped connect people and, you know, like shine. It's, it's, there are definitely good things to it. Um, however, what scares me about it is is really more – I mean social media is neutral as as a thing. It's the value that we put on it. But it does – sort of tug at that ego stuff like the most insidious parts of our brain that get us to really change our values to be accepted or change the way that we feel and justify that to ourselves or at least even if you don't feel that way you're able to justify behavior because you're getting this addictive surge yeah and and look like obviously marketing is very important and branding is very important you can't your art it won't reach anyone if you don't have an audience. That's right. But the, I think what one of the things, the weird things the internet does is it democratizes the whole process. So it's like you can, 
it's like your friend from high school is like talking about an album release party for like a self-release. You know what I mean? Yeah. All the marketing stuff that used to come much further down in the sort of production chain is available to everyone. And what, what, why ego is so insidious is like, that's the fun stuff. Like sitting alone in your room, writing or working or practicing, that's like the, you don't get any validation for that. Right. Right. But you do get validation for sending out tweets like and posting Instagram photos and doing all that. So so what the reason ego is so insidious is not just that it's like annoying and obnoxious, but that it actually um, prioritizes the wrong parts of the process. <laughs> yeah, because in the in the old days, um, you know, if someone if, if, if their goal was to be, be fam- to be famous. They would have to figure out a skill, excel at that skill, yeah. rise to the top, and then they're and now it's just like it's flipped. So it's like, well, let's just get famous first, and then we'll figure out what the substance is. And maybe there won't be any substance. So it's just it just sort of it's just a strange and and that that pull I think is uh, is dangerous and it's so alluring because it feels great yeah. when it when you're getting the attention from it, but at what cost and you know. And how far will people go to get that psychological drug? Yeah, and I in the book I talk a little bit about this distinction between purpose and passion, mm-hmm. and like so, and and so I think this intersects with another trend, which is this idea of like find what you're passionate about, like follow your passion, um, which is great, but passion is also about sort of gratification and reward and and intensity, and so when you combine that with like okay, it's like I love this. And I love people loving me for loving it. And it's just this sort of weird sort of energy. It's not, you know, like I want to be a great guitar player. Like I, right. I, I'm going to be the best guitar player there is. Or you know what I mean? Like I'm going to throw pitches until I perfect my slider. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like I want to make a book as good as these heroes that I have that changed my life. Or better, like I have something that I – that. I have to say that's really important that I think, well, you know what I mean? Yes. So, so it comes at it, 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 on the one hand, it kind of attracts the wrong people. And then it also just, it, it, it incentivizes the, the worst parts of ourselves, you know, like <laughs> I'm, I'm dealing, a friend of mine is an author and he just spent like seven years working on this book. And like, imagine showing up every day working on something and you're delaying the gratification for seven years. That's like, I don't think someone of my generation could do that. We have to be like <laughs> tweeting about it and you know what I mean? Like, and talking about the process and getting yeah. the, Oh wow. That's so great. I mean, is it, and, and some of why, um, again, and I kind of fell into the stoicism rift, just looking for some of these answers as well. Your book opened up that world to me. Obstacle is the way opened up that the world of stoicism to me. And so, you know, how, how do you advise people to change their priorities in the sense that it's like, yes, it might take seven years to delay your gratification, but if you're doing it just for the gratification at the end, maybe you're not doing it for the right, right. reason. How do you shift your focus to focusing on the, you know, the process of it and, the, and, and like that be the rewarding part? Yeah. And so first off, it's this idea of, I think, being like present, right? Like if, if you're writing... Uh, a book because you think the rewards in seven years will be worth it. What if you get hit by a bus like three and a half years in, you know? <laughs> right. And so it's, it, uh, that's, that's a big bet, you right. know? And so I, if I, and not only is that a big bet, but there's so many parts of the process that you don't control. And I think people who are not in the creative industries don't 
fully grasp until you've done it how much is outside your control. You know, it's like you work for years on a TV show and then the TV show gets canceled the right. day before it comes out. Or, you know, there's a hurricane and all the media that you were going to get evaporates. Like even with uh, Ego, it was this weird thing where um, it should have debuted on the New York Times bestseller list and it should have debuted at number one on the Wall Street Journal list, like as far as like objective numbers go. And then you open the paper on those days and it's not there. Right. And you're just like, what? And, and, and <laughs> there's no one you can call and be like, hey, this is unfair. Right. Per these rules. Like, right. You said if I do all these things, this right. is what I get. You know, like there must be some mistake. There's no – nobody gives a shit. Right. No. Like it's just like – Fuck you, sorry. If you don't like it, like go get another thing, you know, go do another like uh, you know, go go find another profession. And so you if if you're if one, if your identity, if your identity and ego and worth was like, okay, if I do this, um, I will uh my parents will finally love me or I'll finally feel good about myself or whatever. Then you're crushed when you don't when the things that's outside of your control ha- uh, happens, but then also you you just wasted all this time that you put in. Like ideally, right. and, and it's easy to say and hard to do, but I think what the work you want to do and the, the work I try to do on myself is like, am I going? Am I am I getting the the rewards by the end of the day each time? So it's right. like the effort that I put in that day. The reward is that That's I made good. some progress, that I enjoyed myself, that I pushed. You know what I mean? Like, yes. And then everything else is extra. Yeah. If you do get it. That's a good. That's a good way to think about it. I mean, again, it's you know when you when you take all the sort of the improvement advice, life advice, you know, like the best philosophy, and you you really can distill them down to a couple of concepts that are very similar to one another. And there, there does seem to be like some universal truths about that kind of stuff. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I sort of look at it like divergent evolution, like different speed, like birds and bats both yeah. learned how to fly, right? But from to- like they sh- they don't share a common ancestor right. in terms of flight, and so it's very, it's very sort of humbling and also I think uh, illuminating that like Buddhism and Stoicism and Christianity, sort of, and Hinduism and Confucianism, they all basically come to the same core set of con- conclusions about, you know, it's like, look, like you control the effort that you put in, but you don't control the results. Yeah. Or, you know, that like, um, pain is inevitable. Suffering is not, you know, like yeah. little, so try not to be a dick to people. And yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. That, that, and, and these things sound like cliches and they're just cliches because they're true. Like the <laughs> well, most yeah, fundamental it's like, level. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's basically just like philosophical dialects. They're yes. just like different philosophical dialects. But you also think about in history, how many artists weren't even discovered until after they were dead. Yeah. Where it's like they, you know, they painted their whole life or they sculpted their whole life. And then people were like, nah, when they were alive, but they kept doing it. And then a hundred years later, Hey, this guy was pretty good. Yeah. Oh my God. He, it turns out he was a master, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and so I think understanding that maybe it's okay sometimes to not have that. Well, one of the and one of the things that I love about Stoicism is that you know we tend to think that philosophy is discussing all these like arcane or theoretical topics. You know, like it's like um, you know how do we know we're not living in a computer simulation like this or <laughs> the trolley problem? Like right. these are the things that right. philosophers are supposed. But like you know, Marcus Aurelius, who's the emperor of Rome, but also writing about philosophy, is he's talking about 
posthumous fame. Like some of his like coolest meditations are about, he's like, he's like, I know he says his things to himself. So it's a weird dialogue, but he's like, you know, I know you want to be like remembered after you die, but you have to remember that the, he, he basically goes like the people alive in the future will be exactly the same amount of stupid and annoying as the people who are alive right now. And so like, why does it matter to you? You know, or he says like, you know, you can't enjoy it. You're dead. You know? How and, ironic that writing about the supposition of that is was one of the things that ultimately made his name live on. Totally. But I think that's the point is that when you stop caring about those things yeah. and you can just be honest and authentic and real, not only does it increase your odds of making something good, but then you're you're you enjoy it as you're yeah. you're doing it. You're not like like um you know, Herman Melville or something like, okay, he's, he's forgotten mostly in his lifetime and then he's appreciated after. Even if he knew that, that wouldn't have made him feel, he wouldn't have been like, <laughs> everyone hates me now and I'm poor yeah. and I'm getting all these terrible reviews, but I'll show you in 150 years. Yeah. You know, like that does, that's not happiness either. Was he going to track down the ghost of the person that wouldn't go out with him and be like, you yeah. missed out. Ah, look who's on top now. Right. What's he supposed to say? Yeah. And, and in a way, that ego, that idea of like, oh, I'm making something that's going to last for a thousand years is just like a recipe for misery because it is dependent on something you don't control. How ironic that you chose Melville. Yes. And, and, and when you think about, you know, the great novel of, you know, chasing this crazy obsession uh, totally. leading to misery. Yeah, totally. And and it is crazy. You can pull it up. You can pull up like the reviews from Moby Dick when they came out and they're just like one idiot reviewer after another. <laughs> just like, what is this book? Like he swings and misses. You know, I don't think they used a baseball analogy, but, you know, it's just like over and over again, just like totally missing the point. And then the, the moral to that story is not like, oh, you'll show them. It's just like they don't know, so why do you care? Like right. they, they've, they don't know. They've never known. The only thing that you can really care about is like your opinion of your work. Like do you know what's your best or not? And like maybe a small circle of people whose opinions like yeah. you know are legit. I saw that I, there was a, a, a really great um, – quote from Mark Manson's book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, the best. which was um, attention is not success. Yes. Uh, which is, I mean, it's such a simple idea and I, I recognize the words and I feel like when I first heard it, I was like, oh yeah, oh wait, yeah. Like it, it takes a second to really unpack it and digest it that that idea does not automatically mean that you are successful. I think that's what philosophy is really well suited to do, which is to help you break down these sort of implicit assumptions that you don't know where you got them or why you have them, but they are the source of like so much distress. So it's like if you we internalize attention as success because, you know, when we got attention from our parents, that meant we were doing something good or maybe not. Yeah. And and then we go look at all these people. They have lots of attention and they have money. That must be good. And then. But I think the job of uh, uh, what we're supposed to do is go like, well, you know, would I actually trade places with these people? Like, right. how happy are they actually? Um, you know, is it not also true that there's lots of very successful people that we've never heard of? You of know, course. Like, and so you sort of break down these assumptions. And then once you do that, you're like, oh, now this huge burden has, you know, because it's not like other people are going around and going, you don't have any attention. You're a loser. Like, you know, it's all, <laughs> all in it's our all heads. in our own heads. And and then the other the the real awful part is that 
when you get attention, then you go, okay, that's a little bit of success, but I need more. You know, like right. it becomes it, – it, Or I don't want it to go away. You, like yeah. you start getting protective and making safe choices or bad choices because then you start reacting out of fear yep. rather than being driven by the passion or the thing that you loved or whatever. And it's And it's so easy to slide into because it's the easiest thing – it, it seems to be the easiest kind of metric to create an economy around because we all feel it instantly. Yes. You feel it when it works and you feel it when it doesn't work. And so it's easy to just throw all of your chips into that basket. Well, and then also we're, we're constantly a victim of whatever is sort of easiest for the technology that we're dependent on, right? So right. it's like uh, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg can create an algorithm that says like things that get lots of likes are good mm -hmm. and people are enjoying it. Um, he can even go like, oh, lot, people have spent a lot of time watching this video. It must be good. Right. But, you know, the, the metrics that really matter, like, is this true? Right. Is this meaningful? Does this make the world a better place? You know, the things that art is supposed to do or journalism is supposed to do or whatever, that's much more elusive. And so, you know, we don't, you know, it's like uh, Twitter, you know, deciding that it's going to be 140 characters because that's how many characters were on SMS. Mm -hmm. You know, the SMS text limit in 2007, you know, determines who the president is in 2018, you know, because <laughs> like that's a very, we don't quite understand. And you mentioned that is the 10 reasons for deleting your social media. Is that the Jerron? Yes. Your book? Yes. He has an amazing book called you are not a gadget. Oh, um, wow. I didn't know that. That talks about the, just like the way we just these sort of small technical assumptions, like the idea that like the Internet is going to show like what's most recent. Mm -hmm. That was like a, some, some guy makes a decision early on in the history of blogging that says like new stuff goes at the top. Right. And then that creates the whole economy of like breaking news and developing story. Mm -hmm. the, the Internet like we'll publish it and then we'll see if it's true. You yeah. know, like. Um, or the whole idea of like, this is a retweet, but not an endorsement. You yeah. know, these are like byproducts of a technical technological platform that it's like our ego just goes to because it's easiest and simplest. And yeah. And, and, you know, also I think it's difficult for humans as a, as a large group, you know, like the more lowest common denominator you go, the more binary of a of a system people want. So they want the easiest, like as a large group, they yeah. need the easiest answers. They need the simplest. And so, you know, all these things are being, because we're an upvote culture, yeah. someone with a really great Ted talk is prioritized as the same as like a gorilla who sticks a banana in its ass at a zoo and yeah. freaks out a bunch of kids or as much as someone who has a thing about, you know, uh, Martians versus something about politics versus something about entertainment. It's all being placed in the same box, but it's, you know, what I feel like we lose with mass market social media is nuance. Like we yeah. don't understand as a large group, we don't understand nuance. Yeah, we don't understand. Individually we do, but not as a big group. Well, that's the weird thing too is like uh, we understand we're nuanced. Yes. But other people are very binary and black and white. <laughs> so like social media exacerbates that too. So you hear someone's in the news and they're this. So it's like that they're a horrible person. But And then when you do something similar at your individual level, you're like, oh, well, it's because I was tired. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And And so I think philosophically that's something the Stoics talk about a lot too. It's like, okay, so someone does something rude to you. 
and it's crazy. Marcus Aurelius is writing about this. He's probably it probably just happened to him. Yes, you know he's like now you have to remind yourself like when did you do that? Like, yes, it's like someone who cuts in line. It's because they're an asshole. But when you cut in line, it's because you really have to catch your. Yeah, friend, exactly, you know? exactly, exactly. And I think you know as a species. We spend so much time, and I think one of the purposes of philosophy is to try to get around our lizard brain, because obviously there are evolutionary reasons why attention would make sense. If your body's directive is to propagate its genes as far into the future as possible, right. you would want attention for that, because that would make, you, that would make your genes more likely to pass on. Right. And so, so much, I think, of what we do is just basically sit, is like the higher brain functions trying to wire around our more animalistic functionality and and really like be the more evolved creatures that we are. But we just have these kind of like two almost not opposing forces, but they don't necessarily have the same goals. Yeah. And then so it's, I think there's two things. One, it's like uh, we know we're not supposed to like gamble all our money away in a casino. But then you go in a casino and they're working really hard to <laughs> like attack that higher impulse. So right. that's like a weird thing of social media, right? Like, you know, we know there's nuance, but when you only have 140 characters to say something, you're going to say it with a lack of nuance, right? right? And even at 280, it's still it's still yes. not enough. Yes, yes. And and so like one of the things that I try to practice in my life is like I try to have like less opinions. Mm-hmm. Like I just try to like it's like okay, somebody cuts in line, it's instead of thinking like, "Oh, well maybe when I would cut in line, um like it's for this reason, I just like what if I just didn't see this?" <laughs> you know, like like part of it, I think part of the the real problem is like we used to we used to just be blissfully ignorant of what 99% of people were doing at any given moment. Right. And obviously this was bad because we didn't know, you know, uh, this horrible country was doing this horrible thing to their people and we could have intervened to stop it. But the other downside is like, do you really need to know that like some, uh, some Harvard professor uh, didn't tip well at a restaurant and left a nasty note. And then you have a strong opinion about that person who you will never meet in your life. You know what I mean? And suddenly he's getting the same amount of rage that like Coney 2012 got. And it's like, these are not the same things, you know, but it's, I I think that people in general are disc. I think it's also the way that the internet is used is that we feel powerless in our daily lives we feel slighted by life we get frustrated and then we look for um we look for things that we are not that we don't have an emotional connection to to vent yeah. those frustrations and the internet makes it very easy especially because you're you're interfacing with a machine which is the literal least human thing you can do and so it you know like it 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 just separates you and takes you out of humanity a little bit and that's where i think it's a little dangerous because it's so easy to not realize that you're doing that. Yeah. And then, and then it's weird too, though, because people go like, oh, it's Facebook's problem or Twitter's problem or whatever. And then it's like, if you read basically any Greek tragedy, the core, <laughs> the, like the core sort of messages, the, 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 the destructive power of hubris, right? Right. Like, these are very timeless, sort of innately human issues. Right. Um, our fear of our mortality, our fear of worthlessness, you know, our insecurities, blah, blah, blah. It's, we then overcompensate for it by like hating other people or thinking, hey, if I just, 
you know, carve a beautiful enough statue, I'll be remembered forever, whatever it is. Well, yeah. And think about this. You, you think about like throughout history, you think of like a small town mentality where you think like, oh, these people never evolved. There's only 200 people in this town and they're just set in their ways. And then you think that everyone now is their own small town population of one. And algorithmically, they are being essentially delivered this confirmation bias bubble that not only tells them what they already believe, but then ups the stakes to send them into extremism, you know, yeah, like sure. it, because its purpose is to engage you as much as possible. And it, and we're very easy to control when we're led by our egos. We're so easy to control. And then there, it's all based on this faulty premise, which is like, if I get enough followers or attention or whatever, then I'll be happy, which is like, I think a more easy premise to knock down, but also then it's like, then I'll be successful. And it's right. like, no, you actually you still have to be really good. You know, like at the core, it's like, okay, so you get a million Instagram followers. If your music sucks, it's not a sustainable, it's, it, you know, like at the, if you look at all great music, art, whatever, most of it's old and most of it stood the test of time. You know what I mean? Like, sure, there's lots there's lots of people who had brief moments for this trend or that trend. But like the people that we all admire and respect have been doing it year in and year out. And their stuff has is not based of the moment. It goes to some timeless perennial part of the human experience. And so ego is just never going to be able to do that. Yes. And because our ego shows us this future where we're like you know, running, running through the finish line ribbon and then the trophy comes out and everyone picks you up on their shoulders. And what it doesn't see is past that of like, you know, true success takes, uh, maintenance and it's on, it's an unsexy process because it's a lot of work and it creates a lot of responsibility and it creates a lot of other stresses. And, you know, for anyone who's had any sustained amount of success, it's a lot of work and you really do, you know, I think people need to decide like, is that is that what you want? Because that's part of it. And I think I've said this a lot and I hope people aren't tired of hearing of it, but I but I really do believe we there's so much self-help in this world that teaches people how to get success, but not be successful. Not not in the acquisition of success, but in the being of success. Like how do we teach people to handle and maintain and reframe and understand success in a in a way that's um healthier? Yeah. Yeah, no, there's this famous exchange between Alexander the Great and Diogenes the Cynic. And so Diogenes is this like sort of guy who rejects all material possessions and fame and whatever. And then Alexander the Great's this conqueror of the world. And <laughs> so it's this weird, it's this weird, maybe unprecedented historical interaction of like the most powerful man in the world and the least powerful man in the world. And Alexander goes, to, walks up to him, Diogenes is laying on the ground. And Alexander says to him, like, what can I do for you? And Diogenes looks at him and he says, you can stop blocking my son. And it's so it's to the Greeks, it was this interesting exchange of like, okay, who's the most powerful? Is it the one who doesn't need anything Mm -hmm. or the one who can give everything? And, and so, yeah, that is the, it's like, it's the, you have to examine that fundamental premise, which is like, are you trying to do this because you think what is on the other side will make you feel good or are you doing it because doing it is good and rewarding and you're, you know, the Stoics talk about this idea of preferred indifference, you know? And so it's like, you have to be able to accept where the dice ultimately falls. Well, I, and if, if you can really master, and again, I don't think it's like a finish line that you cross. I think it's a daily pursuit. Sure. 
you can you have breakthroughs and then you slide back and you have to constantly keep reminding yourself and that's just fucking life that's yeah. just what you got to do but i do believe with di- in the di- in the case of diogenes that it there is tremendous power in that and if you can sort of master the the the, the philosophy and live the stoic philosophy then that is incredibly powerful because then you wouldn't technically in its perfect form, you really aren't afraid of anything because you can kind of just figure out how to adapt to anything because you can control how you perceive and process and and and, and view everything. Yeah, yeah, and or is that am I idealizing it too much? No, no, I think I think that's I think that's right, and and sort of being prepared for any of the outcomes. Yeah. So it's like you're working on something and you throw all your energy and time into it and you're proud of it, and then it's like. It could be extraordinarily successful. Are you prepared for that? You know, right. it could be extraordinarily unsuccessful. Are you prepared for that? Yeah. You and- could get hit by a bus on the way to putting it out. Are you and the in in that instant the direction of your life changes just as dramatically and are you prepared for that? And I mean no one can f- be fully prepared for any of those things, but I think a lot of us just go around with very delusional assumptions about how great it's going to be when we get everything that we want yeah rather than you know like well what if i could find a way to be happy now maybe yeah. i actually could be happy now and, and then, then and then and then <laughs> yeah. and then as well yeah yeah i know but it you know again it's we're trying to live so much it's either living in the past or living in the future and not just sort of embracing this moment which is really all you have at any at any given time that's really that's 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 what you have, and what are you going to do with it? And totally. and you and in your in your example too, you you see this in companies with the idea of like scaling up. Like someone creates a great thing, yeah. and all of a sudden it's like we're running out of the things we made. We're running out of widgets. What are we going to do? Well, now we got to scale up, and then it scales up, and it all goes to shit because they weren't prepared for like what it means to do that on a grand scale. So is the idea is like, is it always better to scale up or maybe not? I remember uh, I have a marketing company and I remember when I was starting it, uh, I was talking to Tim Ferriss, who you know. I do. I talked yeah. to Tim the other day. He's yeah. great. He, and we were talking about it and, and, and he always sees things like very, very differently. And he was just like, hey, he's like, I have a question for you that you should think about as you're starting this. I was like, okay. And he's like, what do you do with your money? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, do you buy like speedboats or, you know, <laughs> like, do you have a drug habit? Like, what do you do with your money? And I was like... I, you know, I live very much beneath my, it mostly just goes in the bank. Like it yeah. just goes there. And he's like, all right, so you should think about that when you're like deciding what clients you're going to work with and how big you want your company to be. And it was totally right because it's like people and people have just, again, we have this assumption, like lots of money is great. Yeah. Bigger obviously, better. obviously having no money is not good. Right. Just at a basic survival level. But, you know, the research is pretty clear that above a certain level, it doesn't fundamentally change right. your ha- it doesn't have that much impact on your happiness and it could potentially have a lot of impact on unhappiness but his point was that like we just think we need to be as big as possible and make as much as possible and we don't actually go like what am i where am i trying to end up right like i try to think about like what do i want my day to look like and i like to have lots of time to write i don't like people telling me what to do I don't like having things scheduled and so when I make decisions, even if it might be an ego boost to go get this or to do that, or it might be very lucrative to do this, I go like, but it doesn't actually get me closer. It actually gets me further away from what I have right now, which I like. Right. And 
Yeah, if 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 you can't stop and sort of get in touch with yourself, you can end up doing something extraordinarily hard, like winning a gold medal in the in the Olympics, and then finding out that that wasn't what you needed or wanted at all. <laughs> right, right. Which is obviously still impressive, but then you're like, shit, now I have to go do some other hard thing. And my knees are ruined. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so right. What, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah, but, yeah. But even getting to that point where you begin to understand who you are and what you want, those are... You know, those are challenging questions for people to answer because yeah. I think a lot of people, if you said like, well, what do you want? They just go, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, so how do, you, how do you advise people to even go down that path of figuring out who they are and what they want? My sort of rule is I, I go like, what do you do on Saturday? Like, <laughs> you know, like, because it's Saturday. It's like you don't really have anything to do. You know, you're not like preparing for, you know, the, the week's not start. You're, it's like you can do whatever you want. Like, what does your ideal Saturday look like? And then how do you get your life as close to that Saturday as possible? Interesting. And so, you know, like on a Saturday for me, it's like I write, I spend time with my wife, my kid, I work out, you know, I go at my own pace, I'm not on the phone, you know, I'm not checking my email a ton, you know what I mean? And so it's like, why would I try to set up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to be the opposite of Saturday? You know, the whole idea of working all these days to be to have one day, you know, like that, you're doing it. And, and I think that's what Tim is obviously, why Tim's books have been. So it's, he's questioning this fundamental assumption of like, do you have to work 60 years doing something you hate to have maybe 10 or 15 years of stuff, retirement to do what you want? And, that, and, and you're not, you know, like you may not even be in the quality prime of your, like when you're... Yeah, or the, all those financial calculations you're making could turn out to be totally wrong. Yeah. You know, Social Security could not exist or, you know, the the beach that you're planning to retire on could be underwater. You I know? loved like, him because he's such a... He's such a let me break open the toaster to figure out how to build a better toaster. Yeah. And he really does fling himself um, into everything. And so... And I... I mean, I've I've been acquaintance with Tim for gosh, almost ten years, and so it's just been really fun to watch what he's done and how he's evolved. And you know, I just I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, totally. And you need people like that who are like like in some ways, Tim's kind of like this alien that got dropped down into <laughs> Earth, where he just doesn't have he doesn't immediately take for granted all the things that most of us take for granted, and that's what allows him to sort of go like, oh, well, maybe it could be done differently. Or, right. you know, so that sort of, and so sometimes you need, like Diagonese is this weird freak, you know, like he like lived in a barrel and he <laughs> masturbated, he walked around masturbating. He was like a freak, right? But by being this asocial freak, he was able to question some of the things uh, that we take for granted that we can then benefit from and hopefully be slightly more normal. So what is your, what is, I, I know your background is marketing, but I know that you've, uh, you know, speaking of companies that had a difficult time scaling yes. up, American Apparel, like you, you know, like you, I guess, famously, I and mean, people are familiar with you, they know that because you're still, what are you, thirty years old? Thirty-one. Jesus yeah. Christ! And you've already written what, four or five books? Uh, eight. Jesus Christ! Come <laughs> on, man, leave some room for the rest of us to not look back at our twenties and say I wasted my time. Uh, but how? how <laughs> so there's a lot to talk about there. First of all, um, let's talk a little bit about, you know, like where where you started. How on earth were you so organized and in tune with how people think and marketing and everything at such a young age? Yeah, I don't I don't totally know the answer, but I, basically, I sort of had two uh, weird experiences. One of which I was the research assistant for this guy named Robert Green, who wrote The 40 yeah, Laws of Power. Power yeah. And so I sort of had this weird kind of almost like graduate degree in research and history and psychology. 
outside the kind of academic system and then also learned how to write books mm -hmm. that way. And then through Robert, he happened to be on the board of directors at American Apparel. And um, I ended up coming on as a consultant. And then I worked my way and I ended up being the director of marketing there. So I had this sort of weird, on the one hand, writing experience and then the other, this marketing experience and what was once one of the fastest growing fashion companies in the world. And then also it was this real world you know, it was almost like Versailles or something where it was this weird sort of dysfunctional company that was all, you know, all built around one powerful person who had complete control and was sort of slowly losing his mind yeah. and was constantly getting in trouble and it was besieged by all these external threats. So it was this just weird period of like learning a ton from all these different angles. And all I really wanted to do at the end of it was be a writer. And so they that that sort of conversion to me eventually getting to talk about all those things. So what, what was the main lesson that you, because that must've been to have a front row seat for everything that happened. And I'm not actually not that familiar with, I don't know exactly what happened over yeah. there. I just know stuff happened, but I don't know exactly what happened. So what, what was the, what was the one sort of one or two main lessons that you extrapolated from seeing how all that all went down? Yeah. I mean, one was that, so when when you set out to do something that's like crazy or subversive or different, which like basically every entrepreneurial venture is, you're trying to make something that doesn't exist, mm -hmm. right? And so most people be like, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. <laughs> and that's what he, you know, the idea of like, okay, we're going to have a fashion company. We're going to make our clothes in the U.S. We're going to pay people a fair wage. We're going to own our own stores. We're not going to have branding on the clothes, right? Like all we're going to sell T-shirts for $30. All like, the ads all are going to look like old porn box <laughs> covers. Yeah, so none of that should work, right? And so everyone's like, that's a bad idea. Don't do that. And then it worked, right? And it became a billion-dollar company that had 250 stores in 20 countries. The problem was, and you're, I think you're seeing this now with, like, Elon Musk, when everyone, like, when the chorus of people is like, that's never going to work, and then it works, and you do it over and over again, you can learn a bad lesson from that, which is, like, never listen to feedback, you know? <laughs> and so American Apparel was this company that was up and going up and up and up, but was eventually going, it was inevitable that it would explode because he was incapable of hearing feedback or criticism or adjusting to the realities of the business. You know what I mean? Is that there were no sort of talented operators inside the company. I mean, there was a few, but he couldn't surround him. It was like, the playbook is pretty common. It's like you're a successful entrepreneur, then you become a publicly traded company and you get great accountants and you get great lawyers yeah. and you and then you listen to those people. But he couldn't do that because those were the people who were telling him he was crazy when he was starting the company. But, but it's so hard too because you there's there's another there's an op, the opposite side of that coin which is. Well, I listened to what everyone said and yeah. it all went wrong. I fucking should have just listened to my gut. So how do you even – I feel like even that's kind of a crapshoot too. No, it is. That's what, And that's where ego is so insidious. So it's like if you're looking at it objectively, it's like, okay, everyone is saying that a made-in-USA fashion company won't work. Well, why are they saying that? You know, are what is their reason and why do I have sort of superior reason, mm -hmm. you know? Not uh, – my dad told me I was going to be a failure and I'm never going to listen. You know, and <laughs> yeah. that's often we're, we're not, I think actually, because uh, I've heard him talk about it before, but I heard him talk about it on your podcast. Judd Apatow was talking about how you can, um, 
you can feel like he, he felt like the movie studio was his parents. Mm-hmm. And so whenever they would tell him what to do, he would instinctively rebel against it. <laughs> and it's like a lot of times the note, like I, I feel this too. Like a lot of times the notes my editors give me totally wrong. Yeah. But am I reacting to that note because it's wrong and hear my logical, unemotional reasons why it's wrong? Or am I reacting to it because in my mind, my editor is more like my teachers who thought I was a loser and wasn't going to be anything. And you know what I mean? You got to go one level deeper and and understand the root of what your reactions are rather than just having the reactions. And also know like, what are you trying to do? So it's like, um, I'll see, I'll see this, like it's, it's less emotional, but like you'll read like reviews or criticisms of your book and they'll be like, Oh, he didn't do X. Well, I have to go back and go, what was I trying to do? And then it's like, oh, wait, I was specifically trying not to do what you said that I didn't do. Yeah. So this thing you're criticizing me, you didn't like it, but I wasn't making this for you. Right. You know, and so th- that like ego can be in another way. It's like I want everyone to like me all the time. But really great art is usually made very intentionally for a very specific, specific group of people. And so you you also have to be able to step back and go, well, what was I trying to do? How close did I actually get to this? And then can I weigh feedback accordingly? Like, is this feedback getting me closer to where I want to go or further away? Yeah. And so he had this dream of building a company a certain way. And so, yeah, a lot of the conventional advice wasn't going to work. But the idea, but the idea that the CEO would be the creative director, the, the, you know, one time I one time I looked out from my office and Dove was like directing traffic in the parking lot. Like, <laughs> that's not a good use of the CEO's time. It's a charming story, it's, but not a great use of the time. And you and and there's some Elon Musk stories where it's like he, you know, he's like walking the factory floor, like yelling at this person. It's that's not a good use of leadership, almost certainly, right? It's it's micromanaging and it's making yourself the center of attention and it's meddling in stuff you probably don't actually understand. And so you have to you have to you have to know what you're trying to do. You have to know why you're trying to do it. You have to be unemotional about it. So then you can weigh all the evidence as it's coming in and navigate that. As you said, it's a very difficult tension. You can't just do what everyone says or you'll end up like everyone else. But you can't just do emotionally whatever feels good or is gratifying because you'll end up probably driving off a cliff. Well, yeah, especially because even the idea that when something starts out as subversive, you know, it's it's new, it's different, it kind of challenges the norm, it's, you know, it's rebellious. And then when it scales up, it then becomes the machine. Yeah. And so it's like, do you even... I mean, I'm not, I'm not someone who thinks like, oh, when a band gets famous, they're fucking not cool anymore. But there are certainly some things that I think were only meant for intimate audiences. And yeah. once they scale up, it actually changes the the voice that it had, which was you know, to shake things up a little bit, like how do you, and, and some things are designed to, to, to scale up. And so, you know, do you think it's even, you know, like how, how do people even know if they're doing the right thing in that case? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's probably individual, but I remember reading this interview about Bruce Springsteen and he was like, no, I wanted to be a huge, I wanted <laughs> to be huge. That was, I like, I wanted to make music for lots and lots of people. I wanted to make it my way, but I was never going to be this like tiny folk singer, you right. know? And so, well, obviously that, that clarity helps you navigate the, you know, do I do a bigger album or do I do a smaller album conundrum, you know? And it helps you make those career decisions, which are really sort of pivotal decisions that 
you know, you, you just, you don't want to be making out of evil. Cause what if you're, what if no, like, um, Bonnie Vare, uh, uh, I read a different interview with him where he was, he was going like, I, I never wanted to be huge. I always wanted to be small. I always wanted to be small. And this thing was like dropped in my lap and it felt hard to say no to it. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, so I said yes. And then I realized I didn't like it. And right. so, so it ends up, it's harder to go back, you know, right. but you, you, I, I think that's my, my point of like, what do you want your life to look like? Right. And then let's make decisions accordingly. Cause the whole idea that it's like, oh, it doesn't matter what you're doing is, you know, making, again, you're making this thing that's going to last for all time. Well, it's like, you have to be alive now yeah. and deal with the consequences of it. So, yeah. Cause I was reading, I, I stumbled onto that, um, Ariana Huffington site, the thrive, um, thrive global, thrive global. Yeah. Because uh, I was reading the that sort of you know it was a handful of months ago when when it seemed like Elon was becoming a little unhinged yeah and you know just sort of wrote this like hey is this all healthy are you okay and then explored the site a little bit more and it's just such an interesting perspective of now you know self help has evolved I think in the sense of like okay so we've achieved the things that we want is this healthy. And this idea that it's somehow – this romantic idea that there's somehow a badge of honor in the Silicon Valley mentality of working yourself until you're not even a person anymore, (laughs) sacrificing every ounce of everything. Like that shows that you're doing the right thing. Like is this really good? Is this a really good thing if if you lose yourself in it and it compromises your health? Yeah, and in, in a way, it's worse than what we were reacting against, which is to like you go get a job at IBM and you work there for fifty years and yeah. then you retire. You get a fucking it, watch, and it, there you go. at least that was like safe and predictable. <laughs> These people are like, I'm going to work myself to the bone. I'm going to turn myself into a machine for a lottery chance of maybe getting really successful. Right? You know, like for every Elon Musk, there's somebody else who the company goes bankrupt in the end. Yeah. Know? But there, but I also, I also see that as like, th- there's, there's an interesting parallel in the entertainment business where people just sell a bunch of shows, but maybe none of them ever get made. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, how many like search engine companies raised a hundred million dollars. And yeah. it's like, they blow through it all in a year or two and then it's gone and everyone just kind of accepts that. And then they fucking raise another hundred million dollars. And then the people kind of behind it are kind of, you know, I would imagine cleaning up along the way that there's almost success in in never actually in manufacturing yeah. a, a, a technically you know successful product. Yeah, and then so it's like, what's important to you, right? right? Like, is it that you want to make something that employs a lot of people or makes a difference in the world or that you're proud of, you know? Or is it that you're just trying to make lots of money, right? It's like you probably should have just gone on Wall Street, you know? <laughs> like you didn't like there may have been easier. So that's an interesting thing because I my company deals with lots of authors. And so like one of the questions I always have is like, what does success look like for you? And when they start talking about money, it's like you are by deciding to do a book, you probably already, you made a dis- This is not the best place to make lots of money. Right. So you, you're already telling me that it's not the most important thing. To right. You. So let's be honest about that and then figure out what actually is really important. You right. know, like, um, so I, I, yeah, I just, it's like, okay, obviously I like making money. I want my books to be successful, but like it would be easier to be a screenwriter who makes things that never get made that like when you look at what a screenwriter gets paid versus like even a good book deal, they're not even close. And so it's like, why are you toiling away in this industry if that's not what you like? Yeah. And it, and it's obviously things are, it's 
for the average person, it's easier to, I don't know, become an overnight sensation or whatever, or just like make a thing and then all of a sudden everything blows up. As opposed to, you know, 20 years ago when it's, you know, a handful of companies controlled everything and then if you, you know, if they liked your thing and you had a little bit of luck, they would pick you and then show you to the world. Now the opposite problem is like, well, anyone can make anything. But as a, you know, and I ask because of your marketing background, how how do you break through the noise? How do you find your audience when choice is infinite? Yeah. And uh, and it's a very crowded marketplace. There's a great book called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. And they're <laughs> basically like the, the first law is like invent your own category. So mm-hmm. you'd like do something that's totally new or different. Yeah. And then the other one is like do an old thing in a new way. That's mm-hmm. like the say It's just invent a new category. Yeah. And so that I always think like so many people, they don't. Like, there's lots of book ideas I could do, but I only do the ones that only I could do. Right. And, like, there weren't any books about ego. Like, I I originally wanted to write a book about humility. That's what I was thinking about. And I looked, and there was a couple books about humility. They weren't very good. And then as I talked to the – I talked to people about the idea – it wasn't like I could see it wasn't totally landing. They weren't like, why do I need to read? A, they, they weren't like that really interests me. That's mm-hmm. very, you know, but then when I, then I was like, okay, well, what I think this is important. Well, what's a better way in? And it's like ego is a much more uh, urgent. It's the opposite of humility and it's also more urgent. And then there's also more cautionary tales. Mm-hmm. And so it, the, the, it took like an extra couple months on the project to transition from one idea to a more viable version of the idea. And people, it's not just like, oh, this is like Facebook, but it does this a little bit differently. You know, it's <laughs> like, no, this has to, this has to need to exist. Right. And again, that also requires some humility. You can't just do the thing you want to do right now because right. you thought of it and it's obviously genius. <laughs> you know, right. it needs to go through like a filter. Um, and you need to, Ultimately, you're not writing this just for you. Right. And so if you want it to resonate with other people, you have to think about them. And and I think that's a, a pretty great segue into The Obstacle is the Way, which is, again, like s- such a, a fundamental look at stoicism. And, you know, again, things are going to happen in your life that, you know, you can't really – I mean, I feel like most of the things we believe to be true or assumptive and most of the things we think are safe and certain are actually not and not in our control. We really are good. I mean, like one of the reasons why humans are evolved is I think like why, why we have survived is because we're good at, at basically convincing ourselves of yeah. things that aren't necessarily true. Yeah. Uh, which animals don't have to do. Right. Um, and so, you know, things are going to happen. And, and, you know, the, the people that have sustained happiness or sustained success have figured out how to, as you say in the book, turn obstacles into opportunities, which sounds a little Pollyanna on the outset. But when you really, really think about it, it's like, well, what else are you going to, what else are you going to do? <laughs> right. Yeah. No, to me, the, the sort of fundamental definition of stoicism is that we don't control the world around us, but we control how we respond. And so that's how I try to go through the world. And I think that's how most of the people we admire and respect go through the world, which is that they're like, okay, all I control is me and what I do about the things that are here. You know, mm-hmm. somebody says something to you, you can't make them unsay it, but you decide whether you take it personally or not, right. you know, or, um, and, and, and so one, are you sort of prepared for Murphy's law, you know, that, that what can go wrong will go wrong. And then do you, 
do waste as little time as possible whining and complaining and, you know, uh, blaming when something has happened and you just focus on what you're going to do with it. No, but that gets us so much attention. And it feels really good, right? It feels really good. Honey, Uh I don't feel whining. Well, it's okay. Come here, you know. Yeah, well, and, and the problem with that is that it doesn't actually, it makes you feel better, but it doesn't make doesn't the situation fix the problem, better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, there's a line from Chris Hadfield, you know, the Canadian yeah, yeah, astronaut, yeah. and he, he says, like, there's no problem in space so bad that you can't make it worse. <laughs> and and I think that's that's often what we do, right? Like, we take, you know, with this boss that has it out for us, um, or, you know, some financial situation or some mess we've gotten ourselves into. And then because we throw the pity party or we think it's somebody else's fault or, you know, blah, 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 we end up making it worse, not only because we waste time, but because we think we can somehow undo it or magically make it not happen or just yes. do whatever we instinctively want to do. Well, particularly, I was that you just made me think that, you know, a lot of people define success as preparation meeting opportunity, but disasters can be preparation meeting opportunity as yeah, well. Like if, sure. you're, if you're preparing yourself negatively or if you have a lot of bad habits or a lot of baggage emotionally that you haven't dealt with and then something goes wrong, that's the result of that preparation meeting that opportunity. And so it has a bizarro dark side to it as well. Yeah, there's a like going with your gut is great, but what if your gut's wrong, you know? And, <laughs> and I think our, our guts are often wrong, yeah. you know? And I, that's, that's sort of the, the Judd Apatow thing where he's like, um, is this feedback I'm getting, is it right or wrong? Not like, how does it make me feel? Right. You know? And when you just go, when, like when I get edits from my editor, the first thing I, like I get them and then I just don't even look at them. I just like let them sit. And then I read them once and, you know, this is so wrong. Like, how, you don't get me at all. Right. Like, fuck you. You know, it's whatever. <laughs> and then, 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 I, then I go through and I go, well, I'm just going to take the stuff that I like, you know, that I agree with. And right. I'll do all the little ones. And then I do it a third time. And I end up putting, like, almost all of it in, you know, except for the ones that just don't make sense. But, but at least if you know that about yourself, it yeah. allows you some degree of, like, well, this is my process, and I know. I mean, that's sort of fun because then you start, you sort of start recognizing your own programming, yeah. And you can, in a way, sort of operate yourself. I hope this makes sense, but operate yourself like you're this little being inside this complex machine, yeah. And you can take a step back and go, well, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's going to lean to the left a little bit, so I got to compensate this way, and it, and that is very empowering when you realize that you can, you know, kind of drive yourself in that way. Yeah, it's like how old is the little kid living inside you? And then yeah. what does that person need to hear to just, you know? like <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Yeah, right, right. It's like, <laughs> no, it's okay. We're not going to leave you here. Okay, all right, John. Yeah, I think, a huge, I think so much of it just has to do with some issue, in our, like some pivotal moment in our childhood and we're like stuck at that, you know, a nine-year-old boy or an 11-year-old girl or whatever it is. And that's obviously, like, as you get more successful, you know, that's, Kanye West can't be acting like an 11-year-old. Right. You know what I mean? The stakes are too high. Right. And it causes all of these problems for him. And so that's pretty common. But, it, 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 you know, when obstacles do come up, it's almost like, and if you're having a bad reaction, I think it's taking a second going, is this the obstacle that I'm actually upset about? Or is there, you know, again, that kid in your mind, is there an obstacle that I need to deal with that I am creating that is 
making an obstacle for the obstacle. I got to get through that first before I can even fucking figure this one out. I mean, one of the things that I found sort of after I left American Apparel is just how wrapped up I was in the chaos of it. Like, um, that, that I thrived on it and I wanted it and I liked it and that it was totally unhealthy and codependent and toxic. And, and you can sort of become wrapped up in your environment or industry or whatever. And it's not how you want to be. And so, yeah, you think the obstacle is like, so-and-so sent you this email, Mm -hmm. but actually the obstacle is like, why are you even working here? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're so, I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're all trying to process so much information and solve so many issues at the same time. We are also creating a million of those things, creating busy work at the same time. So it's, you know, First, it's it's even a challenge to suss out what even has value anymore. Like, what's real? Like, I was busy all day. What were you doing? Ah, you just stuff. I was just doing stuff. Right? Were you really, or were you like fucking around for like an hour? That like, did was it? Were you really effectively using your time in a quality way? Yeah, and it's like, are you even upset about this, or are you just like hungry? Yeah, you know, like it's just like so <laughs> so. Oh yeah, I haven't eaten in like five hours. <laughs> yeah, and just stepping back and being like, oh my god, like I'm. I thought I was being rational and being the opposite of rational. Yes, and and that maybe I just don't need to care about this at all. Yeah, it's good when you realize that human are humans are basically flawed wieners. We're just flawed little wieners who <laughs> just you know just want hugs when we want them. Yeah, and. And But when we can, I think, sort of recognize that about ourselves and also recognize, like, you know, the world will be fine without me. Yeah. <laughs> That's an important thing to recognize, too. And that kind of helps because I think we can inflate some obstacles because we're so important. And you're like, okay, well, I'm not. And maybe that takes some of the sting out of this thing and that gives a little bit clearer of a path. Yeah, there's this Bertrand Russell line where he's like, the first line of an impending nervous collapse is a belief that your work is terribly important. <laughs> and, and that's why Mark's book about not giving a fuck is so important. It's like, it's not that you shouldn't give a fuck about anything. It's that there's a lot of stuff that you just don't need to give a fuck about. And, right. that, and that making that distinction, and again, even the Stoics, like one of the, the famous Stoics, Epictetus, he's saying our chief task in life is just to distinguish between what's in our control and what's not in our control. Obviously, that's that's important for a lot of reasons, but mostly it's a resource allocation issue. If you are spending time and energy and emotions on things that are outside your control, like if your day is ruined because you wake up and you see what's on CNN, mm-hmm. like you're, you're wasting energy that could be spent uh, – dealing with your own life and your own problems and your right. own flaws. And you could start that by just not watching the news. Boy, you know? But that's, that's the other, that's, that's the alluring part too, is that it's such a, you know, we crave distraction because in any given moment, we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't, even though we know that discomfort leads to growth, yeah. it's hard to, it's hard to tell your emotional brain that. And so when you get upset, when you feel uncomfortable, if you feel frustrated, you just distract yourself. I'll watch the news. I'll go on Instagram. I'll go on you know other social media. I'll play a fucking game. Yeah. And the thing isn't going. The thing to deal with isn't going away. But we're delaying. It's like the, the reverse delaying of gratification. You know, like you're 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 delaying paying the bill yeah. on the account. And right. And the interest is creeping. And up. the interest it's, is creeping it, up. But you still got to fucking pay it. Yeah. 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 It's like. It's easy to be mad at Colin Kaepernick. It's hard to go like, 
where am I disrespectful or where, what problem, like, you know, what do I think about these things? Right. right. Like I'd rather just get mad at this person or this celebrity or this thing instead yes. of like looking in the fucking mirror. That's exactly right. That's, that is so crystallizing. That's that we, the ability to be voyeurs into everything else, almost literally everything else is happening in the world are we're robbing ourselves of the gift of self-reflection yeah. because we're, we don't have to because it's so easy to not do it. Yeah. Yeah. And during the, and again, not a political point, but in the 2016 election, I remember Obama gave this speech and he mentioned something about Donald Trump and all these people booed. And then he said, don't boo, vote. Right. Right. It's like booing is spending energy on something you don't control. Voting, even though it makes a very minuscule difference, maybe not even a difference, is at least a tangible thing you can do. So it's a resource. So instead of having strong opinions, um, just do shit in real life. <laughs> Have strong actions? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do shit in real life that actually makes a difference. And and probably the circle of influence that you're going to have is much smaller than you want. But if you can, you know what I mean? It's like it starts at home. Like get your stuff in order yeah. before you, you know, just spend all your time and energy on other people. Like I try to rate my books for me. Right. You know what I mean? And then if it works for me, chances are it will work for someone else. I mean, are you, are you good at this? Because obviously... I see you as someone who can just come in, assess a situation, and give a very logical and not uh, overly emotional assessment of the situation to try to solve the problem. Do you find that that skill set has worked in your family life where you have a very strong emotional connection and sometimes you need to be able to not do that to solve problems? I think the reason that I'm good at writing about it is that I'm not naturally good at it, right? <laughs> so it's like my wife is naturally all the things that I talk about in the books for the most part. Sure. Whereas like for me, it's the opposite of how I am. So I have to have a process for thinking about it. So I'm constantly falling short, um, like an embarrassing amount falling short of it. But um, it's like a process, you know, yeah. it's like you're working on it. And I think in a weird way, that's what makes someone a good writer is that they're having to explain something even to themselves. Like they're, sure. it's, it's not, they're not naturally or intuitively good at in the way that like most um, most sports coaches are usually mediocre athletes like they were they were not bad it's hard to be a bad athlete and then understand the sport but if you're great like LeBron James is never going to be a great basketball coach because he's so naturally gifted that he hasn't had to think about how these things work in a way that like Steve Kerr probably has not that Steve Kerr is not great but he has to actually understand the game in a way that um you know someone michael jordan doesn't have to sure sure yeah that if you if you have such strong intuition about something that it wouldn't even probably even occur to you yeah to like i wonder if i should get some perspective on how i it's you know it's usually when you're when you're knocked down or you have to really examine something for it, there's usually a reason that we spend a lot of time examining something. Then you start to come up with those answers. And, and look, I think, I think that's what Marcus Aurelius was doing in the book. Like, I don't think he was not, I don't think he was naturally perfect. I think that's why he wrote a good book because mm -hmm. he was actually struggling with all the things. And I think it's very much, it's about just getting incrementally better. So it's like, okay, someone, uh, you know, rudely cuts you off when you're driving like maybe you instinctively honk or yell something inside your car. Okay. Can we just not follow them, you know, right. like, and scream obscenities out the window, you know, like, can you, it, it's not like, it's not, 
Stoicism is not how do you have no reaction whatsoever to everything that's happening. Which, I, which to you is in the a world. common misunderstanding that it just means like, oh, you're a fucking statue. Yes. But it doesn't. But the more I've been reading about it, the more, and I had that perception of it too, and that doesn't seem to be the what the interpretation, like the popular interpretation is. Yeah, it's like it's like no, let me just stop this before it spirals out of control, and then right. hopefully next time, let me move that point back even a little bit further. It's practical. It's like it's 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 a it's a philosophy for like simple practical living. Yes, yes, um, very very much so, and it's. I mean, like the idea of journaling to me is like what I think the Stoic sort of exercise, ideal sort of exercise is like preparing in the morning for like how the day is going to be and then what, how you want to be. And then in the evening going like, well, how did I do? Yeah. And that sort of, okay, you pile that, that habit on over many years, you're going to get a little (laughs) bit, you're going to get better. Yeah. It would be hard for you not to get better. Yeah, and that's and that's what's really fun and exciting to think that, you know, for the most part, even if it's just a little bit, you, you can devote – even if it's just a few minutes a day to something that's interesting to you, you know that in a year, two years, five years, ten years, the compound interest effect yeah. – I and mean, there's like YouTube videos of – there's a YouTube video of a guy who's like – Hey, I'm going to start learning how to play piano. So I'm going to practice an hour a day. And it's his progress. Really? One, you know, like first day, first week, one month in, three months in, six months in, a year in. And a year in, he's fucking fantastic. And you're like, yeah, he just made little deposits every day. It's like, are you making that deposit, even however small it is, are you making that deposit every day to get closer to that thing? And you will. There's no real magic to it it's just it's i think it's a principal law of the universe like if you you get good at whatever you focus on if you if you if you focus on negativity you're going to get good at that yeah well and and that we're all also coming in terms of the fact that we're all at different starting points yes right and so how you're comparing yourself to other people is totally irrelevant but how much better are you from where you started and so you know when i got into this stuff about 10 or 11 years ago i was like any 19 or 20 year old, I didn't know anything. And I was, you know, the opposite of all of this. And I, I'm not saying I'm super proud of the progress, but it, there is visible progress, sure. you know, and that, that's really what I think you're trying, trying to get to. And the, the nice part is I think as you get older, you naturally get this way a little, you know what I mean? Like as you get older, you stop caring as much about the things that you were so intensely focused on when you were younger because you sure. realize they're much less important. So yes. also just time and perspective, provided you're not actively, I guess, learning the wrong lessons will help you get there too. Well, when, you, when you're when you in a teenager, when you're early 20s, like being accepted is everything, yeah. you know? And I think I'm sure that's some sort of a hormonal thing or something. And then as you get older, you're just like, I don't know. It doesn't fucking matter. You know, yeah, like, and right. so it, you, you open up a little more in that way. And also the things you've learned, you now have experience, like the things you've learned or read about or heard, you now have experiences yeah. that you can tie to those things. You're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah. This thing I thought was really important. Maybe I got it and it turned out it wasn't that great and brought a lot of problems with it. So maybe, you know, maybe I just need to be a little more flexible. I uh, have... I, I, this is a dumb example and I apologize for how stupid this is, but it, you know, if it helps even one person, but I've been wearing contacts for five years now and I fucking still can't do it right. Like every morning I struggle. Like there are some days where I can kind of get it in, but most days of the week it folds back. It catches my eyelash. It won't go in. Like it, my eye just like spits it, just like pukes it out into a little mess in the sink. 
and I I get uh, exponentially angrier each time where it's like six or seven or eight tries. And I'm like, five years? Are you fucking kidding me? And it wasn't until, you know, like after reading your book and recently that I was like, okay, I know this is going to piss me off every time I do it. What if I use this as an ex- as a as a way to practice every morning patience. Yeah. Because at least I'm at least it's happening for a reason and at least it's something that I can get out of it. Yeah. And it's been really helpful because I know it's going to be a fucking pain in the ass, but at the end I'm like rather than starting off my day pissy because I couldn't something dumb like get my contact in, now I'm like practicing not being bothered by this mundane, stupid thing that I, you know, can't control. Well, I think that goes to your point, too, that, like, we think the obstacle is one thing. But so it's not like, okay, this brick wall has been built in front of me, and now I'm going to throw myself against this brick wall until eventually it collapses. It's that, you know, in dealing with the brick wall, we discover some other uh, opportunity, right? Yeah. And so that's what you're saying, which is that, oh, okay, the, 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 the context thing, it's always going to be tough. But what can I learn from the process of dealing with that thing? Yes, and like, I'm like, I hate confrontation. Like I get sick. Like I've built my whole life where I don't have to, I don't get told what to do. I don't have to tell people what to do. I just don't like it. And so whenever, inevitably you still have to do that. You have to fire people or, you know, um, you know, deal with some financial dispute or whatever. And so I try to walk into those things going like, well, I don't have any practice in doing these things. I'm going to be better on the other side of having this conversation for firing this person or right. confronting them over this thing. And then I'm going to be a little bit less intimidated by it the next time I have to do it. Do you know yeah, what I mean? And absolutely. so it's just like, it's, it's something you have to do, but it's also something that for having to do, you are improved in some way. Well, yes, because even, you know, even as dumb as something as like not getting frustrated with your contacts, that's building a muscle. Yeah. And then when you come up against things, even if you don't realize it, it is giving you a skill set to deal with something, you know, if something bigger comes along or something more challenging comes along, you are building those little skill sets in, again, in tiny increments. Well, also, though, we would like to think that we will just magically acquire patience. Yeah. No, and it's like, doesn't. no, you have to get it somewhere. Yes. And so where is that going to come from? And it's from stuff like that. Boy, I, I notice you have an, do you have an obstacle as the way tattoo? Obstacle is the way and then I, it goes to the enemy. Oh, that's, oh, is it, do you get a tattoo every time you finish a book? Uh, no, because I only have two tattoos, but um, <laughs> these are the only two titles that worked as, as tattoos. <laughs> I got the tattoos first and then uh, it was also leverage with the publisher about what the title would be. See what I did? It's, it's been it's blazing. Done. It's done. Yeah, it's it's done. done. It's decided. I keep thinking like. You know, I don't have any tattoos and I think like, oh, at this point in my life, is this really where I'm going to get one? But I think like, oh, if I were going to get one, what would it be? Well, something stoic would be nice because it's a reminder every day. So I'm looking up stoic things like, you know, I know memento mori is something that people like to say. But I I do think there are two slightly different – I think the stoic interpretation of memento mori is basically just like remember death, remember that you're mortal. And then another version of memento mori are the death pictures that they – Victorian death pictures of like remembering the dead. Yes. Although I think that was the same. I mean like I I think it was – uh, what they have become, you will become. I think they're very similar. I thought it was more like, hey, we have this technology now where this person just died because mortality rates are high and this is a way to sort of capture them forever so we'll always remember them as opposed to like, remember that you're going to die so that will affect how you live your life. 
I think now I, I mean it, it's both. It's both. But you know there was so there's the vanitas pictures of of like skulls and whatever. But yeah. then there's also the the dance of death, like the yeah the yeah Dance yeah. Macar- and that one is very much like death is this looming thing because a lot of that was done like during the time of the plagues and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like death is this thing that's out there. It'll get you, and it'll get you, and you got to be ready. Yeah. Yeah, or love- not. It's going to happen yeah. either way. It doesn't fucking matter. Yes. That's so, true. so then the the other the other concept that I that I love is um, amor fati. Yes. Which is basically like, you know, I guess colloquially like love the fates, love fate, basically. Yeah. Lo- love, accept and love whatever happens. Yeah. And you will be, which is, is easier said than done, but is, and, and then, you know, like you will lead a happier, better life. Yes. But there's no fucking symbol for Amor Fati. Well, here, let me, let me see. I got, Do I you got, have one? Uh, yeah, I have this one. You want this? What? Uh, oh, you're giving me the coin. You yeah, can get yeah. these coins on your, on your site. Yeah. Um, not, I, I, so the not sim- merely to bear what is necessary, but love it, it says. Uh, I, to me, the symbol is... Marcus really has this. He says, like, whatever you throw in front of a fire is fuel for the fire. Mm-hmm. And so to me, that's the idea of a morfati, right? Like that, that to me, that's the only image you could have for it, which is that a fire just sort of embraces and consumes and then is uh, fueled by what impediments come, it comes across. Yeah, because the truth is we usually don't know what's best for us. We, we know what we think we want, yeah. but we rarely make i think make decisions or maybe it's just me we rarely make decisions based on what's best for us the the sort of the long term which is sort of the gift of being an evolved creature is that we have the ability to conceptualize that and but so much of the time we just focus on whatever is going to make me not feel uncomfortable in the moment yeah i mean the other thing i try to think about is like well this is what i got right you know like this is what i got so (laughs) what am i gonna you know what am i gonna Obviously, there's parts of it I control. I control what I do next. Yeah. But I, you know, the, the plane's delayed. What are you going to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? Basically sounds like a sublime song. Yeah. And I was like, that's what you got. You know, like, it is. That's, that's what you got. Yeah. Yeah. And, but we spend so much time either telling ourselves that what we got is because we're magical and special and, you know, that's the ego part of it or that this is so unfair and that we deserve better, blah, 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 instead of just going like it is what it is. But there are good, I mean... You know, again, it's such a, you know, the ego is almost, it's almost like a a weapon in a way. It's like you can get cut by it, but it can also be helpful too in the sense that if we didn't have some sense of it, we might never strive to do anything better because we might not believe that we could. Like the fact that, you know, anyone thinks like, well, I have an idea that's going to change the world. I mean, maybe that's good that we have some of that. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a balance. I mean, I guess the fear with the fear with the with, I dropped it. It's good that I dropped it. It's good that I dropped Omarfami. I appreciate that I dropped it. It's like yeah. If you become if you become enlightened, do you stop caring about everything? Right. I don't know. I mean, it seems like a lot of the enlightened people that I admire still did a lot. Yeah. You know, and so it, I don't know. It, it, it is it is a fear, but. I, I say like ego is fuel, but it's bad fuel mm-hmm. in the way that like anger is bad fuel. Mm-hmm. Like, have you seen the Michael Jordan Hall of Fame speech? Uh, no. You should. It, it's the it's the one where he's crying. Uh, you know the meme where he's crying. Oh, you're it's the from, real MVP. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, he gives this speech when he wins the, the the he's inducted to the Basketball Hall of Fame, and 
this should be it should be this crowning moment of achievement for him. He's honored by all his peers. He's like a billionaire. He's the best basketball player who ever lived. And like he opens the speech by he's invite. So, you know, famously he gets cut from his high school basketball team. Um, he invites that dude to the speech <laughs> to say, like, you were wrong. Like he's he's so held on to the anger that in the moment and it's it go, like he literally then speaks for like the next 30 minutes, basically bringing up every slight and injury and uh, insult he's ever received and how these were all fuel for him. And it's like totally inappropriate for the setting. And it's increasingly awkward. And everyone in the audience is deeply uncomfortable. And you're just like, oh, this is the problem with being motivated by anger, which is that. It it works in the short term, but then you can't turn it off. Like right. he does, so it's like he even complains in the talk <laughs> about how expensive the tickets to the event were, and he points <laughs> to his kids and he goes, "You don't even appreciate like how much I paid for you to be here." Oh, no. And you're just like, "Wow!" <laughs> I, I mean, it's almost sad, and I, I think it, it can you could take it out of context. He doesn't sound like a totally miserable person, so I don't mean to imply that. But you're just like the problem with it is you can't turn it off. Right. And it's like you keep it's like if you keep the wounds raw so you can use them, they just never heal. Oh, right. If you use that as fuel for the then that's what's going to magnify and that's what's going to percolate in your soul. And it's never and then yeah. nothing's ever going to be. It's like and you go Montoya at the end of Princess Bride, like I've been in the revenge business for so long. I don't know what to do with my life now. Yeah, it's like he used being angry at this guy to get him back on the high school. He got back on the high school basketball team the next year. But. Uh, he's still holding on to it like 40 years later. Like that sucks. Yeah. That's the problem with ego and anger as fuel. Yeah. And it's, and in, um, in uh, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, he tells the story of um, Dave he, Mustaine. Yeah. Because yeah. I tell he, the story he, and he goes, yes, yeah. He tells the story of Dave Mustaine being, you know, like getting kicked out of Metallica, still selling like 20 or 30 albums. Never being happy because the band he got kicked out of sold sold a hundred you know hundred and fifty or whatever it is, right. and that was his sort of benchmark. And if you took Metallica out of the equation, he's an insanely successful person who completely helped shape the genre, yeah. and yet maybe still doesn't feel satisfied. So I guess as as a fan. It's great that he was willing to torture himself in that way because you got great music. But for him, probably didn't feel so great to have to not, you know, appreciate the amazing things that he had done. Yeah. No, it's funny because Mark and I's books came out at like the same time. And so we were just like, and we saw early drafts. We're like, are we both? God damn it. Are we both Megadeth fans? This is amazing. <laughs> but, but to me, the question is like, we don't actually know if it was yeah. good. No, we don't know if it was good for the music. Like, oh, what if he would have made much better music? What if he would have been happier and more present and more connected? Yeah. And maybe it would have gone in a slightly different direction, but maybe it also wouldn't have, uh, you know, led to the drug abuse and uh, falling outs. And maybe he would have come back to metal. Like, it, it's impossible. It was just so complicated. But we but we often when we look at those examples, we rationalize it and we go, that's what it takes. Like when Tiger Woods saw the Michael Jordan uh, um talk he's he famously said to like his caddy like that's what it takes to win so that we rationalize it mm -hmm. but we don't know what if michael jordan we, we don't maybe michael jordan is actually a great basketball player because he's a great basketball player right like is kanye west a great musician because he's an egomaniac i would guess that in the studio he's actually very humble and you can't get as good as he is 
if you're delusional about the music itself. Right. You can be delusional about everything else, but the music doesn't lie. You know right. what I mean? And it wasn't just anger that made Michael Jordan a great basketball player. It's also that he had it practiced and was great and listened to his so many other things. Well, that, but that's the other that's the other weird thing about social media is that it's it's basically a direct line to our internal emotional monologue now, and it's not. And you know, if you basically just you know, if you could if you could somehow give your brain uh, Wi-Fi. And it just spit out every fucking emotional thought you had in a day. This is part of the process of thinking. It's like you're going to toss out most of it. Maybe it was some reaction that you're having that wasn't real or just like a set of circumstances occurred. But we're documenting that process. (laughs) And and a lot of it just looks batshit because, you know, like I feel like the way our brain is supposed to work is we have every thought and, and then... Our higher reasoning just sort of goes, okay, let me sort through that and figure out if that's real. Does that check out? Is that accurate? But we're not getting to that part because we're just immediately, you know, entering it into this matrix. And so, you know, like it's easy for, you know. Well, no, and that's why I think the casino example is so good. You very rarely leave a casino and you're like, I'm so glad I did that. Like, <laughs> what a even, great. <laughs> even when you win, you're just like, why? It's so dumb. You yeah. Know? But it, so very rarely do you, like, do I look back on my Twitter feed? I'm like, I'm so glad I said all these things. Like, yeah. But that's what, the, that's what their business is, is to get you to say shit you probably shouldn't or wouldn't otherwise say. To create, to keep people on there, to create yeah. engagement, to elevate the most... Um, superlative everything, the best, the worst, the craziest, the happiest, the unhappiest, to sell ads, to, to get traffic to sell ads. So it is sort of a, you know, I, mean, I don't I don't want to sound like a crazy conspiracy person, but when you do, but when you read the reasons for deleting your social media account, you're like, oh my God, yeah, I'm a basically just, I mean, I think I'm making all these grand emotional statements and all these really great points, but really I'm just letting some company monetize that i'm just giving that you know like i'm letting my raw emotions be monetized and the media is basically elevating the most controversial things to outrage farm Mm -hmm. to basically manipulate us so that we are they're like you're you're farming our emotions for money and like no one seems to be bothered by this and i'm like it just feels like maybe it's not you know well have you heard the expression you can't con an honest man no. But basically, that, that work, when you get conned, you're like complicit, right? It's like you yes. greedily thought you could get something for nothing. And that's right. Like, and I think – so it's – yes, all these all these platforms are manipulative. But, but we're allowing but it to we're happen. But we're allowing it. And I think primarily what it preys on is ego, which is that like we're like, no, no, no. People care. Yeah. People care what I have to say right now. And it's like, yeah, don't. that guy's crazy. But what I have to say is it's actually really important yeah. because it's me. And that's really – that's sort of the parenthetical that, you know, that should be at the, at the most posts. Like, because it's me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. That guy's crazy. But I did this. But it's okay because it's me. Yes. Yeah. And – but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. And so just as – you know, do, do, do you have advice for people to – self-examine more or step be able to step out of this or or really um make sure that they're approaching it in a in a healthier way like where would someone start that process i mean i I would start with two things one i would delete uh all social media apps from your phone like you can still have them but just not on your phone Uh uh-huh so like i don't have twitter or instagram or facebook on my phone i have them on my desktop or when because instagram is mobile only so i have to like i send the photos to someone to post them but that way like i'm not out of it but i'm not i don't have easy access to it right and then the other thing i would do is i think everyone needs to read like 90 read and watch like 90 percent less news 
Um, <laughs> like you can read books. Like yeah. the books are information that's designed. And I, obviously, I'm biased as an author, but books are, it, books contain information that's designed to stand the test of time. News is. Uh, per its business model designed to expire so you continue watching more news. Yeah, right? and also book, uh, books do contain things that are actionable and a lot of news is not actionable. And I think that's why we rush to social media and we get pissed off because that's the only action we can take. Yeah, or that's the only action we feel like we can take because it's easy. Yeah, right? yes, yes, yes. And that's so, a better way to put that. So, um, yeah, and, and also you pay for books, right? Mm-hmm. So like what, uh, what Jaron is saying in those books is that um, – like if you're not paying for them, you're what's being sold, mm-hmm. right? And when you buy a book, you have a, at least an honest, straightforward exchange with something. You have an inve- you're invested in it. Yeah, and like uh, if you like it, if you don't like it, you can return it, or you'll never buy from that person again, right? right? But when you when you watch a CNN report and you re- and you're like that was totally bullshit and just designed to make me angry or whatever. You're not like, well, I'm going to stop paying for CNN because you're not paying for CNN. <laughs> right. Bundle is part of your thing and you just – you're not even – you're just watching it at the airport, you know? And so if you can stop doing that um, and, and focus on – like the best way to understand, uh, you know, today's politics would be to like read Shakespeare or, you know, read about Greek history. Like or or – you know, study history and understand what's actually going on. And then you can see it dispassionately and you can do what you really need to do, which is think about how this affects you and what you're going to do about it and the decisions you're going to make. I mean, we always think we're more special or we're smarter than any other time in history and we know so much more. And then, you know, you so you read stuff, you know, from 2000 years ago and you're like, oh, man, they were dealing with the same shit. But do you feel like, do you feel like we're just in a, still in a repetitive cycle or do you think there are things about our culture that are like, no, but actually we, uh, I mean, it's probably worse than it's ever been in some ways, but also also, better than it's better in a lot of ways. So it's like, would I rather be alive in a slightly more rational, less, you know, breaking news culture? Maybe, but not if I increase my odds of dying of infection. Yeah, exactly. Like at 31, you'd almost, you'd be like, well, I got a couple more good years. Yeah. Yeah. Or that I'd be constrained conscripted to fight in some stupid war, you know, like there's not, it's definitely better. And so that's an important thing to learn too. But it it is more or less, I can say it's more or less the same as it's always been and always will be. And in a way that's depressing, but in another way it's freeing and you're just like, okay, so my job is mostly to focus on what I can control, which is me, which is my family, which is the work that I do, which is the role that I play in my community. You know, it's not... Uh, you know, retweeting a petition. Every day is a, a you know, a well, largely blank canvas that you can fill with. I mean, obviously people have responsibilities. There are things you didn't ask for, things that you feel like you need to, you know, that you, that you have to do um, more or less. But every day is an opportunity to fill it with something. Are you going to fill those moments? That's why I listen to books in my car. I'm like, well, I listen to the same songs again. Or when I'm sitting in traffic, I could just... Sure. Even if I forget them the second I do it, like something will stick and at least you're making those those little deposits. So, you know, we really do have to tr- try to bring in a sphere of contentment and happiness. It isn't necessarily just going to happen at you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Um, yeah. In the book, I talk about the, the difference between sort of a live time and dead time. And dead time is like when you're reacting to stuff, when you're angry about stuff, when you're just like sucked in some black news hole or whatever. But a live time is like, oh, I'm going to read a book or, oh, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm just going to sit here and have like quiet time to myself or yeah. I'm going to call someone 
who I haven't talked to in a while and just like say hello, you know, like um, we we waste a lot of time. And this is where I think the memento mori thing comes in. We waste time because we think we have unlimited amounts of it. Mm-hmm. And we don't. No. Um, we very much don't. And we don't decide how much we have. So it's, there's all these people who are like, oh, I'm going to live to be 150. And they spent, you know, it's like, it's not going to help you if you, uh, you know, uh, your plane crashes. Right. Um, and so how can you, how can you make sure that, um, you're just taking advantage of every day. You're not wasting. By the way, if you're listening to this on a plane, your plane is not going to crash. You're going to be fine. Statistically, yes. it's safer than driving. Yes. So yes. to make sure, someone's like, oh, what? You know. But uh, I, I also would tell people that if you have any interest in stoicism, which, by the way, because everything feels a little bit crazier now, and you know, like you, you and Tim Ferriss have a great chat at the end of the audio version of Obstacle in the Way, which is basically just like an hour long podcast. Yeah, and you're talking about how stoicism tends to rear its head at particularly tumultuous or volatile times. Obviously, when people feel like things are out of control. So it seems to me, and I don't know if it's just because I noticed it recently, and now I'm noticing it through some weird, you know, reticular activation system or whatever. But um, it. It definitely between that and like transcendental meditation, like there are things that uh, I, I feel like are becoming more and more prevalent now because of the time we're in. So if any of this resonates with you, you know, I, I would say go to our stoicism on Reddit, which mm-hmm. is a great digestible. It, it'll just give you a sense of like, does this make any sense to me? And if it does dailystoic.com is a, a really great resource that will give you lists of, you know, because I'm sure you get that, what books should I read if I'm interested in stoicism? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I would say is you mentioned books being an investment. The other thing I see people do is they'll go like, oh, it's the cheapest translation I can get on the internet. And they right. just buy, like, they'll read some free thing or they'll read some, you know, old book that they found in a library. It's like, no, like, a book can change your life. So, like, find the right one. And sit down and spend some quiet time with it. Yeah, know? I really appreciate it because I first started – I started reading on the Kindle uh, and I didn't get very far into it. But it was a very complicated translation of Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. And so it – you know, translating from ancient Greek into modern it, – it, it's – you really need some colloquialism. So you recommended a version that's much more – that's much easier to process and digest. So you're not trying to get around like that type of you yeah, know, ESL saying, language barrier. He wasn't saying like thou art not yes. – you know, that wasn't in ancient Greek. These are like – that was just because you're reading a translation from the 1700s. Yeah, you know? and, and I think people forget that they can do that. So it's a good piece of advice. But again, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius is a, is a great book to read. Yeah, there's a great um, short translation of Seneca called On the Shortness of Life. Mm-hmm. That's a set of essays. And then if you like audiobooks, Tim actually published a free audiobook version of Seneca's Letters. Oh, nice. It's not the best translation because it's a free mm-hmm. – he used a public domain translation. But it's like if you just want to listen to it, uh, that's a good place to start too. Great. And then you – just as we're wrapping this up, you in your own life, what do you feel like your – I mean, I know you said like, well, I had to learn this stuff because I don't now I'm not naturally this way. But, you know, first of all, what are you particularly happy about? And then second of all, let, let's flip that. Yeah. Let's talk about like what you what you think your big challenges are right now personally and and how you're solving them. And then we'll talk about what's making you happy. Yeah, I mean, they're they're related. So like I have a two year old. And so it's it's totally different than anything I've experienced. And it's, you know, I got up at like three thirty this morning. Oh, my God. Um, 
But then it's like, okay, is that a problem? Or is it now I'm going to spend two hours with this person that I wouldn't have spent, you know? And so the the parenting has been a huge one for me because there's so much stuff you don't control. There's so much comparison you want to do to other people or things that you think you know or stupid parenting books that you read. And then it's also just the idea of like, this isn't something you're supposed to like win at or be successful at. It's something you're supposed to do and be present for and enjoy. That's been, as a person who like works really hard and likes work and likes the straightforwardness of work, having a kid is like the opposite of that, you know? <laughs> so it's been a total challenge, but like exactly where I needed to be challenged. Right. And that, that, so your, your greatest challenge right now is also your greatest joy. Yeah. Because when you do it right, it's amazing. It's the, like, what, that's almost the thing they don't tell you about having kids is like, they, it's like, you're never going to sleep and it's going to be so hard and it's expensive and blah, blah. They're not like, also though, it would be the most meaningful, rewarding thing that you do. Right. And if only because your biology tricks you into thinking that it is right. And so it's, it's like, oh, wait, I, like me just sitting here while he plays in the dirt, that's parenting. Yeah. You know, it's not like, oh, should I be doing this or what can I do at the same time or how long have we been doing? You know what I mean? Like I don't do many things for an undetermined amount of time. Like I'm always in control of my life and you probably are too. You're like, I'm doing this until then. You know, you're not just like, oh, we're just – walking around in circles now, you know, or just like, we're just sitting, we're just going to sit in the car until he wakes up. Right. That's the thing. Like that's, that's, (laughs) if you want to talk about things that are not in your control, like that, it's like, but we're supposed to, we were supposed to get there at three. Then he doesn't give a shit. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't even know that. that (laughs) He should give a shit. Yeah. Yeah. And you waking him up to get there at three, you're going to pay for later. You know? So it's like, (laughs) it's just, it's great. Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, my, my, mom's grandparents, my great grandparents came over from Italy. They had 11 kids. They were, you know, like it was, they were immigrants. You know, they had 11 kids in some weird Italian humid pyramid scheme. And they, uh, and they figured it out. Like, you know, they figured it out. Like people have been doing it for, you know, like you, it's the, the face of the problem may change, but whatever problems you're having have most likely been faced before. Definitely. And, you know, just don't underestimate your own adaptability is what I would say to people. Like this is, this is, that, that is our, that is what we do. Yes. That's why we're the creatures that we are is because we know how to adapt. So don't sell yourself short with the ability to adapt to whatever, you know, thing that you can turn into an opportunity to work for you. Yeah. And just to embrace it as it's happening. Like it doesn't have to, it, there's no like score that you get at the end, you know, like there's just, it's just doing it, you know, whereas, um, I I don't know. It's, it's in a weird way. One of the challenges has been like, okay, how can I not turn this into like a project, (laughs) you know? Cause that's what, that's naturally what I want to do. Yeah. Um, but that's probably, it's not what he wants. Right. You know what I mean? He doesn't want to be an experiment, (laughs) but I think that's, that's a, that's a weird thing I see with a lot of my, friends who are parents is that this is like a thing to win at right and that's what creates helicopter parents and miserable kids and stuff like that well it's a wonderful place to sort of dovetail into the the way that we end the podcast which is by saying enjoy your present enjoy your burrito and uh you can get any of ryan's books on amazon or pretty much anywhere 
And um, and I also really appreciate the Daily Stoic email. Like you, we get a you you, you put out an, an email every day. It's so funny that like email lists are an early part of the internet and then we went to social media and then we forgot about email lists and now it's like, no, I like email lists again because it's just – it automatically yeah. comes. It's what I want to see and it's just a daily short couple of paragraphs that are a great sort of little reminder each day because you have the 365 days of – Yeah, the book is one page a day and then it's like what do you read after that? Right. Or if you don't want to buy the book, this is free. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to promote while we're here? No. Well, thank you. Me. Thank you for coming out here. Of course, it was really, really an honor to meet you, and uh, and uh, I look forward to mining you for more information in the future. Sure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sure, sure. Thanks, man. That was the ID10T podcast number 978. Thank you for listening. Thank you for going this far into the podcast. If you did, you didn't just shut it off at the end and be like, I'm done. Of course, that is your prerogative as a consumer. But, um, you know, I, I hope that uh, some of these ideas resonated with you. And I hope that, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're exploring as, as you embark on this new year. I mean, listen, obviously, uh, it's very easy to use the switching of a number on a calendar to make changes in your life. You know, I think, you know, mankind has been doing this for millennia, sort of a, you know, the, the new harvest idea. It's a new, a new a new age in the calendar. The truth is, at any point, even if you don't decide to do it right now, it could be April 12th or July 20th or March 32nd. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, you can make broad sweeping changes in your life. But as as you're sort of winding this da- year down and, and, and pouncing into the next one, you know, my, my my unsolicited advice is just write some write some stuff down. What were you happy about this year? What were you not happy about? What can you change? What's in your control? And maybe sort of branching off the idea of stoicism, you, 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 you write down all the things that are really bothering you in life right now. Maybe things you want to change or things that are just bothering you. And you sort of just make a checklist of like, you know, which of these things are in my control? And of the things that are not in my control, what can I let go? And of the things that are in my control... Um, how can I respond differently? Or of the things that are not in my control, how could I respond differently to those? Because ultimately, that's what that's what you have. You are an all-powerful being <laughs> at the center of your own little universe, and you can decide how you perceive the world. Use this passage of time as an opportunity to, um, you know, to really work on yourself and, and the things that you can control. And I really, really think it helps when you write things down. It, it can be very difficult uh, your brain, your brain is very powerful, but as you can only focus on one thing at a time, really, it's difficult to sort of sort and parse through the wide berth of things that you're all trying to cram in there at once. And so, as you write things down and sort of put them into the physical universe, it gives you just a little more opportunity to have almost kind of a third person perspective on what it is 
that you're doing. And so as you write down the things you want to change, as you write down the things that you want to accomplish, it's also kind of important to understand why you want to, why you want to accomplish those things. What's it going to mean for you? What do you think it's going to change? Because you might find as you're sort of writing it out that, uh, Oh, I thought I wanted this thing, but now that I see all the steps that are involved with it or all the things it could mean, maybe I don't really want that thing. And maybe I can achieve that feeling that I wanted through another means. Or it's also possible to say like, hey, I don't need anything. I'm happy with everything that I have as I look around and I express the gratitude in my life uh, at the things that I have that maybe sometimes I overlook. I realize that's enough. I mean, if you can get to that part in your life where you feel like, hey, you know what? I have enough. You know, uh, I don't have a solid gold rocket car, but why do I need a solid gold rocket car? Think of the maintenance that would require the buffing of scratches on soft gold on a car, the polishing, the protecting of it, you know, people trying to steal stress, 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 stress. So, you know, maybe it's okay to just say like, hey, I have enough. And that's going to be what I'm going to focus on this year, because I'll tell you, nothing you hear it a lot that, you know, oh, gratitude is the key. Gratitude is the key. But honestly, I, I think we get desperate when we feel like we don't have enough in life. And it's so easy to think that other things are going to make us whole. So we, we're in a constant state of desperation, particularly with social media, where we see so many other people have, you know, because they're posting the idealized versions of their lives. And they have things I don't have. You know, we live comparatively. But maybe when we push all that aside, you know, gratitude fills you with that sense of I have enough. And when you have enough, um, it doesn't mean that you'll never get more stuff. And it doesn't mean that you can't strive for more things. But it takes you to a place where you are pursuing things because they bring you joy and not because you desperately need them. And it is a it's a subtle but very profound shift in the way that you think. And so, um, you know, I can't recommend being grateful enough uh, to you. It really will help to alter your life. Even if you can just do it a little bit at a time, take a couple minutes each day, you know, even if it's like, I'm really grateful for these salt and vinegar potato chips I just ate, you know, like that, you're still expressing gratitude and it's a gateway to other gratitude. Yes, I know. I feel like Bill Murray at the end of Scrooge right now. I get it. I get it. The miracle can happen for you and you're going to want it. Uh, yeah, I just watched that movie the other night because it's, uh, it's, uh, never gets old. So, uh, I just want to thank you for listening to me babble at the end. Um, I just, you know, I want to kind of do wrap ups from time to time as things strike me and, and hopefully it can be, uh, helpful to you because we're just all on this journey. We're just trying to figure this shit out. Um, and just know that it's a never ending process. And when you set goals, it's not so much about the attainment of that goal, but what you become in the process of the attainment of that goal. A goal achievement is just a marker of like time to start a new process, because if it's just about the goal itself, you might achieve it very easily and then you'll feel empty because it's done or it might be very difficult and then you'll feel incomplete because you never achieved it. But if you focus on the journey, if you enjoy the burrito as it's happening, if you focus on the process and you become process oriented, as I've said a million times, then you can really start to feel um, like you're achieving things and successful because that's where gro- that's where the growth happens. The growth happens in the struggle. The growth happens in the process. So just know that's a natural part of it. Um, I hope uh, you have a wonderful new year. Uh, I hope that you're able to, you know, 
achieve all the things that you want in 2019, as simple or complex as, as they might be, um, whether it's career stuff or relationship stuff in your life or personal development stuff. And, uh, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I am grateful for you. I'm grateful that you listen to this podcast. I'm grateful that you listen this far in. And I'm grateful that I get to do so many things that, uh, that I love doing uh, for people that even if I don't know you, if you listen to this, I would probably hang out with you legitimately. So uh, <laughs> if I met you in real life. So I just want to thank you and say uh, Happy New Year and uh, we'll see you in 2019. Hashtag hugs. Hashtag Ending word salad. ID Tenty scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart, or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.